Good morning. When I was in seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary, I attended the historic First Presbyterian Church in downtown Jackson, Mississippi. And a lot of the seminary students went there. Dr. Jim Baird was the pastor of the church at the time. And sometimes on special occasions, he would stand up and say, this is a high and holy moment in the life of this church. And the statement was always punctuated with such gravity and sort of holiness and also joy. And so I want to say this morning, this is a high and holy moment in the life of Red Mountain Church because you are calling Matt Clegg to be an associate pastor. Up till now, Matt has been called by the session as an assistant pastor to assist in the ministries of this church. But now you as the congregation are calling him to be the associate pastor. And you're doing this because you love Matt and because you appreciate his ministry and because you sense something of the spirit of Christ in his life and you believe that God has called him to the gospel ministry and particularly to gospel ministry in this place. And so this morning, in order to sort of think about his ministry and our ministry as a church at Red Mountain, I want us to look for a few minutes at what was certainly a high and holy moment in the in the life of God's people in the Old Testament, and that was the setting apart of Aaron and his sons for the God, for the priestly ministry in, in the tabernacle. Will you pray with me? O oh Lord, our God, we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would grab a hold of our minds and hearts. We pray that this text would be far more interesting to our souls this morning than any of the news of the day, and that we would understand that your words are life, and that you would help us to gain the profit we should from them. Spirit of truth, we long for a clearer vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you display him to our souls this morning? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The passage we're going to look at this morning is from the book of Exodus, chapter 28. And what's gone on so far in Exodus, um, stories that you're familiar with, in Exodus 20, Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the Ten Commandments at, at Mount Sinai. And then the Israelites are given this, what they call the book of the law, laws regulating the life of Israel, and then they confirm the covenant, and that's chapters 21 through 24. And chapters 25 through 27, they set up, they give the prescriptions for the tabernacle and all the furnishings of the tabernacle and what the tabernacle was to be constructed of. And then we come to this ordination are setting apart of the priest, and particularly chapter 28 deals with the priest's vestments, and chapter 29 deals with their, their, um, their installation service. So let's hear the word of God. It's a little bit lengthy, but please pay attention. Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I fill with a spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. 
Then they shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. And they shall make an ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twisted linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces, and attached to its two edges, attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like the like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold and blue, and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. You shall take two onyx stones, and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them with settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. And you shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach corded chains to the settings. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work in the style of the ephod. You shall make it of gold and blue and scarlet yarns, fine twisted linen shall you make it. It shall be a square and doubled a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set it in four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. The second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. On the fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with the names according to the twelve sons of Israel. They shall be like signets each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel and the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. For Aaron's sons... You shall make cat, coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him and shall anoint him, them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. This is the word of the Lord. Up to this moment in Israel, Moses has functioned as the primary leader of God's people. Aaron has assisted him some, but it's primarily been Moses who's been the one who has stood as a mediator between God and the people and gone into the tent of meeting. But now something different is happening. God is setting up a permanent priesthood, a a place of worship, and he's installing priests there. And this chapter, he deals especially with the high priest. God says to Moses, Bring Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priest. Notice that Aaron and his, uh, and his sons are appointed by God to serve in this special capacity. God is the one who chooses them. And three or four times in the passage, he says they're to serve me as priest. So the priest's primary service was to be unto God first and foremost. And so God chooses this family out of all the families of Israel to serve him as priest in his tabernacle. And then God instructs Moses to make garments for Aaron as a high priest. And he says, I want you to go and find all these skillful people, people that I've given skill and ability. Isn't that fascinating that God gives you the skills and abilities that you have in your life? But God says, I've put some 
I've given some people skill and ability in embroidery and gold work and making these things. And I want you to go find those people, uh, Moses, and I want you to make these garments, have them make these special garments for Aaron. And they're to make a, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. We didn't read all about all those, but... Um, uh, we read about most of them. And at the end of the chapter, they're actually to make fine linen undergarments as well. And these garments are all said to be holy dress. You know this, but holy means set apart. It means different. It means special, uh, set aside from ordinary use, devoted to God's use. And so God gives all these different materials, these these. Uh, gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen to these craftsmen, and they make these holy garments for Aaron. And isn't it interesting that there's a whole chapter in the Bible just describing the, the garments of the high priest? And so I want to ask this morning, what are we to make of these clothes? What are we to make of these clothes? And we're going to make the Old Testament, New Testament jump. Don't worry about that. But what are we to make of the clothes of these priests? And I want us to think about three points. First, they were intended to lift up the ministry of the tabernacle and of the priest in Israel's mind. Secondly, they were a reminder that the priests were sinners just like everybody else. And thirdly, they pointed to the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ, the true high priest of God, and his work on our behalf. So first, the garments were intended to lift up the ministry of the priest of the tabernacle. Uh, the ministry of the tabernacle and the priest in Israel's mind. In verse 2, God says to Moses, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother. And look at these words, for glory and for beauty. I want us to think about those words because later on in the chapter, the garments that are made for Aaron's brother or sons as kind of the associate priest, it, it uses the exact same phrase. It says, make these undergarments for them for glory and for beauty. So what does, that, what does that mean for glory and for beauty? Have any of you ever been to the Goo Goo Car Wash on 4th Avenue South? Please tell me somebody in here has been to the Goo Goo Car Wash on 4th Avenue South. <laughs> At least one head nod. A couple of head Okay. I love that place. <laughs> um, it's a really good car wash. It's always clean. It always has plenty of cleaning supplies. The vacuums suck really well. And, uh, but what is it that you notice when you go to the Goo Goo Car Wash? The workers. Because all the workers at the Goo Goo Car Wash are dressed in khaki pants, white button-down shirts, and a red bow tie. And let me tell you, those guys look sharp. And it kind of transforms maybe an ordinary car wash into a car wash with a little bit of pizzazz. <laughs> I don't know. I may be going too far with that. <laughs> but uh, it's the clothes that sort of seal the deal down there and make, it, and make it, the whole thing is good, but the clothes sort of make it a little bit distinct. Um, Think about this. Up until this time, I already said this, but Moses had been the sole leader in Israel. And now God is going to establish a priesthood. He's going to transfer a whole branch of leadership, leadership of the worship of Israel to a new people. And so God wants to 
invest some glory in those that are going to be called to this task. Um, in, the, in the Bible, the word glory means heavy. It means substantial or weighty. It has to do with importance and honor and splendor and greatness. When Joseph's brothers came to Egypt and found him, he said, Go tell my father of all this great splendor, this great glory that you have seen. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision of the Lord in the temple. The seraphim, the train of God's robe is filling the temple and the creatures are bowing down and worshiping God saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth realizes the, the weightiness of God. The substantialness of God. You know, we sing, that's what we're singing. We sing the Gloria. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit it was, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. What we're saying is, Lord, I pray that your magnificence, your heaviness, your weightiness, we see that. We worship you for that. We pray that it will be known among the nations. This is the opposite, by the way, of taking the Lord name. Lord's name in vain, which is to treat him lightly. So to be invested with glory is to be invested with significance and honor. And God wanted to exalt both the priestly ministry and the ministry of the tabernacle in the eyes of the people. He wanted to give it significance. He wanted to give it dignity. He wanted to give it glory. And so he makes these special garments for Adam, for Aaron to signify that. And the garments were also beautiful. Um, they were, did you catch this? If you, if you just know a little bit about Exodus, the garments of the high priest were made of the same materials as the garments of the, ta- as the, the skin of the tabernacle and particularly the Holy of Holies. Isn't that interesting? This, uh, this blue and purple and scarlet cords with finely twisted linen. That's what the people saw in the tabernacle. So in a sense, the priests had sort of matching clothes or clothes that sort of, it was all intended to create some beauty that people would be amazed at. God made us to appreciate beauty. When Betsy and I, uh, for our 25th anniversary, we had the privilege to go to England and uh, we had a great time. One of the places we went was Blenheim Palace, the birthplace, birthplace of Winston Churchill. And where he spent a lot of his boyhood, it was actually a relative's home, but he spent a lot of his boyhood there. And uh, I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to go to England and visit any of the palaces. They're magnificent. They're, they're grand. They're glorious. The architecture is gorgeous. The grounds are immaculate. They have gardens. They have lakes and ponds. There's bridges on the property. Um, and one of the things that, that, that I didn't really know, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but in these palaces... Um, they had the owners would go out into all of Europe and really into all the world, and they would collect artifacts. They would collect paintings. They would collect vases. They would collect plants. They collected all kind of things from all over the world, and they brought them back to the palace and put them in different places as decor. Now, why did they do that? For the glory and the beauty of Blenheim Palace. And so do you get the picture of what God's doing here? God is, the the tabernacle and the priest clothes were certainly the most startling thing in Israel. They were certainly the most impressive thing in Israel because God wanted people to have a sense of the holiness 
and the weightiness of his worship. And that's why he does this. Now, I want to think, think for a minute with me about a pastor's calling, okay? I want to be really, really careful here. The first person to warn me this week was my wife, who's a great student of the Bible. Uh, we are not equating New Testament ministers with the priests of the Old Testament. The priesthood, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, everything pointed to Jesus Christ. New Testament ministers are not Old Testament priests. So I want to be sure that you hear me saying that. Um, but I do want to make this point of parallel is that in the Old Testament, all of the people of Israel to be kings and priests before the Lord. And yet God chose this one family to serve him in this capacity. And in the same way, in the New Testament, we are all kings and priests. We are all priests to serve the Lord Jesus through the church. But nevertheless, God has some people that he sets aside uh, to focus on ministry among God's people in a particular way. And so uh, we read in Ephesians 4, it says that God gave some as apostles and prophets, which we believe to be the early leaders of the church, no longer here, and some as evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So God gives some people that calling and those gifts. And part of what we're saying today is we believe that Matt has those callings. Uh, we're acknowledging what we believe God has already put in him. You know, the, the church is entrusted with the oracles and ordinance of God. Uh, these are given to all of us. God's institutions, God's words, the gospel, truth, they're given to all of us. But pastors are entrusted as a steward in this realm in a particular way. Now, well, how is that? Just a couple of things to think about. Ministers are called to proclaim and ministers are called to pastor. Ministers are called to proclaim publicly the gospel message, to be known as teachers of the word. They're called to herald the good news of Jesus Christ. We're all called to do that, but ministers are called to do that on a regular basis, to teach his word to the nations. And I just want you to think about that. I hope that you are in God's word and he's doing things in your heart and life. But as I read through the word, you know, the startling, the word of God is startling. And just think about how God reveals himself in the Bible. He is, he says, I'm your creator. I spoke the world into existence. Um, he is the self-existent one. He created the universe He's the one who gives the Ten Commandments and tells all men how they should live. He's the holy God of Isaiah. He's the faithful covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And he's also God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, as you read through the New Testament, the things Jesus says, if you're not a believer, they are outlandish. Uh, Jesus stands before people and says, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will no longer hunger. Now, what man can say that? And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What mere man can say that? Uh, last week, Charles, in his sermon, quoted Colossians 1.28 I'm so thrilled. 
It, it says, to the apostles God chose to make known among, uh, known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this end I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works in me. Did you get that? I didn't read it well. We proclaim Jesus Christ at warning everyone. So Matt has this function. His words are to warn people and exhort people and teaching everyone to instruct people. What a, what a, what a somber uh, sort of calling that pastors have. They, they're called to proclaim. They're also called to pastor. They're called to, um, they're called to come alongside people in times of need. They're, they're called to speak to souls when our life just isn't working out, when our marriages are falling apart, when our job is not successful, when we're frustrated, when we're discouraged, when we've got anger and bitterness in our hearts towards people. You see, pastors are to come along and they're to shepherd people through these times. Um, and in our guilt and in our sin, when we blow it, pastors are called to come and and speak words of life and to remind us that God has taken our sins and he's cast, cast them as far as the east is from the west. And so, so this, is a, this is a high calling. It's a weighty responsibility. Think about our nation. We live in the most polarized times that we've certainly seen in the last number of years. All kind of racial strife and political division. And, um, you know, pastors have to speak words of wisdom in the midst of that. And they're to love you. You're to always be on their heart. The Apostle Paul says, who's equal to such a task? You know, this is interesting. The the close not only reminded the people of the significance of the priest's ministry, but they reminded the priest of the significance of his ministry too. (laughs) My brother Walter, years ago, clerked for a law firm one summer in downtown Birmingham. And one, like Friday, they asked him to go make a deposit in a bank. And so they gave him like $350,000. And he had to to walk like seven blocks. Yeah, this was a long time ago when people did things differently. And a lot of it was checks, but some of it was cash. And my brother Walter said, you know, as he walked those seven blocks, he just kept looking over his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, he just was conscious of the weight of this responsibility of carrying that much cash for six or seven blocks. And I think the clothes probably were like that. They put some holy fear in ministers. And so... I simply say that to say this. Congregation, pray for your pastor. Uh, He has a calling that's not more holy than anybody else's, but it's a peculiar calling, a particular calling. Okay. So the the clothes were intended to lift up ministry of the tabernacle and the priest in Israel's mind. Secondly, the clothes, and more briefly, the clothes were a reminder that the priests were sinners just like everybody else. You know, the priests were not allowed to go into the temple without these clothes on it. Twice in this passage, it says, if you go in the temple without, or the tabernacle without these clothes, you will die. Why? Because they were unholy and sinful. And so God has to clothe them with a glory and a beauty that they did not have in and of themselves. Um, 
in the next chapter, chapter 29, we read about the ordination of the priests. And one of the things that happens in the ordination ceremony is they, they first have to go be washed with water to cleanse them of their sin. And then, and then they have to offer a bull as a sacrifice for the sins of the high priest. A bull. And he has to lay his hands on the bull's head, transferring his guilt upon this bull. So it's very clear to all of Israel that the, the high priest is not going in there in any merit of his own. Um, and you know the story of the priest. They were blemished three chapters later. Aaron is going to be making a golden calf three chapters after this right here. And Nadab and Abihu, his sons, get struck down for offering unauthorized fire to the Lord. And um, um, the priests really don't have a great record in the Old Testament. And, um, you know, they, they were just men like everyone else. Um, we do believe that God has set apart Matt to be a gospel minister, but ministers are just like everybody else. Matt's probably more comfortable with this point than he was at the last one. <laughs> but why do I say that? Just so that you'll remember to pray for him. You know, he struggles with sin and temptation and lack of forgiveness and all the things that you struggle with in your life. Uh, he, he's just like us. Sometimes we venerate pastors. I remember years ago somebody asked Frank Barker, who was a pretty venerated pastor in our city, how do you possibly get up and spend time with the Lord every day? And Frank Barker said, I set my alarm for 6 o'clock, and when it goes off, I get up. <laughs> and that's all he said. But what a great answer. He said, I'm just like you, just like everybody else. And so just remember that. And the pastor, it can be a, a difficult calling. You know, in most professions, if you work in a company with 300 people, you have about three or four people that are watching over you and have an opinion about what you're doing. But if you're a pastor of a church, you probably have 300 people. There's about 295 people that have an opinion about you and what you're doing. Right? So just remember that. Um, encourage your pastor. Encourage Matt. Uh, pray for him. Okay. Uh, last thing. The close pointed lastly to the glory and beauty of Jesus, the true high priest of God, and his work on our behalf. Um, I gotta, gotta be brief here, but it's, it's just so wonderful when we read what the priests do. The priests had to put on this ephod. It was made of two pieces and it had two stones on the shoulders with the names of all the tribes of 12 tribes of Israel. And then they had a breastplate and it had 12 stones, one with each name of each tribe. And God says, I want you to wear these. And when you come into my presence, um, uh, it says they're going to be on Aaron's heart when he comes before the Lord. Um, and it's a reminder that we are on God's heart. Uh, the, the old, uh, needed to make this, needed to make this jump better. Um, it's a picture of Christ, Aaron going in with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on his, on his heart, on these stones, is a picture of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Today is the Lord's day. Today is a day to celebrate the gospel. Today is a day to rest in what Jesus has done for you. And one thing you can be certain, if you are God's child, God says this, I have your name on my heart. I have your name written on me. And it's fascinating that he has the 12 tribes of Israel. Can you picture it? Can you picture somebody from the tribe of Dan, you know, stopping Aaron before he goes into the, temp- into the tabernacle? Hey, let me check one more time. Is my stone on there? There it is. 
There it is. And what Jesus is saying to you right now is if you're his child, he's got your stone on his heart. And he goes before the Lord to pray for you. He goes before the Lord to uh, make priestly offerings and sacrifice of sin for you, his own self. And he loves not just God's people, but he loves you individually. And I hope that you're comforted by that. We sing this song, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Believer in Jesus Christ, your name is on Jesus. And he appears before the Father for you. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And he wants you to know how much he loves you. The clothes tell of the glory of the priestly ministry, but they also point us to this glory of Jesus Christ. Just in closing here, the dazzling splendor of these robes is meant to make us think of our Savior that way. Um, In the Old Testament, the beauty of the high priest was outward and physical, but in the New Testament, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the true high priest, is inward and spiritual. And and really, you have to have eyes of faith to see this. Many people saw Jesus in his earthly ministry and did not believe this. But to those who see, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. To those who see, he is the one who gives life and the firstborn among the dead. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He always was, always always is, and always will be. Jesus is unique among men. He has all goodness and beauty and truth and humility and love and forgiveness and grace and justice and righteousness in and of himself. He's the one who speaks and can calm the sea. He gives sight to the blind, raises the dead, makes the crippled walk. He's the only one who can bring us to the Father. And, And the Bible says that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee in the whole earth is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so uh, Jesus works sparkle with glory. Jesus' person sparkles with glory and beauty. And in closing, I just want to ask, what, is this, what does this mean for us? Okay? What does this mean for us as a church, and particularly on this day? Um, in the Old Testament, God displayed his glory and beauty through the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, God displays his glory and beauty in the world through the church. So what does that mean? That means you're it. That means you are called by the way you live, by the way you speak, by the things you do, by what you say, by the choices you make, by the way you live your life. You are called to display something to this watching world of the glory and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of his darkness and into his wonderful light. So I just want us to think about this morning, Red Mountain Church, what a high and holy calling that you have um, to display the glory and beauty of Christ and how you do that.
you have to be personally discovering something of Jesus' glory and beauty in your own life. You have to be personally tuned into that. And, um, you know, it's an, it's the last thing I'm going to say. It's an easy time right now to be very secular. It's an easy time to live all of your life under the sun. That's what secular means. Because we have uh, smartphones, big screen TVs, apps, beautiful screensavers, Etsy, Pinterest, Spotify, all your favorite music in one place, ESPN top 10 plays of the day, SEC football, YouTube clips, laptops and lattes, fine wine and fine food. (laughs) There's all kinds of competing lesser glories that might make us think that Jesus is not glorious. And uh, the question is, will we think of Jesus as glorious in the midst of all this? May it be so in our church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the significance of this. And thank you for uh, Matt's calling to be an associate pastor in this church and that we can think about ministry and the ministry that you've given the saints. And we're just so thankful. We do pray that we would be a people cognizant of, cognizant of and uh, glorying in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.